Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, gold Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989-898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989-898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. It is The Savage Nation. For those of you who have missed me and uh, who have thought I left radio, I, uh, well, I guess if you're a Democrat, socialist, progressive, regressive, communist, socialist from hell, I'm sorry to tell you I am very much alive and here on the Savage Nation. Now, we will have politics today. We will talk about the vaccine myth. Will it be safe and effective? Of course not. At best, at best, 45% effective. Safe, we don't know. They're going to use you as a guinea pig. Just ask Dr. Lousy. Dr. Lousy will tell you that if you die from it, it'll just be collateral damage. Why is the government pushing a vaccine at such a fast rate when you know it's going to be a faulty vaccine? Answer for politics, political reason. There's no way this vaccine will be safe and effective. I'm going to talk about that from the scientific point of view. We'll talk about the mask myth because in Holland, their top scientist says no evidence that face coverings work. We're going to ask you who is crazier and a bigger liar, Pelosi or Dr. Scarf, Burks. We are going to say to you, never call them progressives again. No, never call them progressives again. They like to smirk at you and say they're progressives. They're not. They're not. They're regressives. They want to drag us back to October 1917. Remember, never say progressive. They are regressives. It's been tried before. Ask a Russian how this worked out in our from the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. And then we learned today that Black Lives Matter, so-called, demands protection money from Louisville businesses, just like the mafia did. And as a result of the mafia shaking down businesses in such a great organizational fashion, as they did in those days, they created the thing called RICO. And with RICO, they broke up the old world 
five families. Using RICO, they put away the heads of these families. There is no reason that Donald Trump should not use RICO on Antifa, BLM, and all of the associated groups and their enablers. Now that we've gotten all that out of the way, the Savage Headlines, which, by the way, is a show unto itself. I've been on the air, what, a minute, Jim? How long has it been? Three minutes. That three minutes is what I should be doing every day, once a day, the Savage Minute. The Savage Minute, that's all you need because what you're going to get from me in those one or three minutes is better than you're going to get from anyone else in radio for the rest of the day. Mickey Mouse on laughing ass, Mickey Mouse on laughing ass, <laughs> Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Mickey Mouse. How did, how did Mickey Mouse and Laughing Ass become a popular theme? I don't understand that. But getting back to the non-helium radio show, I want to talk about vacation horror stories because I just had a few. That's right, vacation horror stories today on the Savage Nation radio show, plus headlines, which you just had, so you got the headlines. And then later in the next hour, U.S. Senate candidate for Tennessee Ambassador Bill Haggerty, good man, President Trump supports him, as do I. But let's go to vacation horror stories. Uh, Again, I'm going to give you the number because it's going to be jammed. I know this type of show always works. I'll leave the politics to those who can't do anything with an imagination. Those who sell you the Constitution and the Bill of Rights as though they wrote them. You know, there are people in radio who made more money talking about the Constitution than the fathers who wrote them. You know, there are people in the talk radio business who make more money talking about the founding fathers than the founding fathers ever did. You don't know that. Well, now you do know it. They're called con men. But I don't want to talk about the con men on the right or the con men on the left. I want to talk about vacation horror stories. And so the phone number is 855-400-7282. If you have a great vacation horror story, Tom awaits you. Tom is the able call screener. Jim is on the board. I am on the uh, MOOC synthesizer and the organ. Where shall I begin? <laughs> As you know, I, I don't travel. I don't travel. I did enough of it when I was in my 30s and 40s and 20s and Spent a lot of years in places I wouldn't recommend. I was in Fiji for many years before the water became famous. (laughs) I was there collecting medicinal plants, living in villages, wonderful people, the Fijian people. And um, I had enough of it. There's no such thing as a great place to go on vacation if you're a very, very light sleeper as I am. I only sleep well in my own bed. I don't know about you. Nothing is right. I don't care if it's the best hotel on the earth. So I'm not going to sit and complain about a hotel immediately. That's not the big story. That's really not the best vacation horror story of all, like spending about five times on the phone with the booking agent telling him, look, I'll pay more. I want a top floor and I want a valley view. I don't want to be over the parking lot. I don't want to be over the swimming pool listening to children scream. Okay, sir, we have a valley view room for you on the top floor. Okay, great. Get to the hotel. Next scene. Sorry, sir, your room isn't ready yet. Okay, I tell you what, leave the bags in the lobby. We have business to do elsewhere. We'll be back. We come back at 4 o'clock, and they say, sorry, sir, the room that you booked on the top floor is not going to be available at all. I said, why not? Because the people who stayed in it last night trashed it, and we have to rip out the carpets. I said, oh, boy, who was in this hotel a night before? So I said, well, what do you mean? You're going to put carpets in over my head? In the room you're giving me, you're going you're gonna to have carpet layers in there? No, no, sir, we'll block the room out for the three nights you're there. All right, look, what are you going to do? Do the best you can. So I said, good, as long as it's not over the swimming pool. No, sir, you got the valley view. Put the mask. We're in the masks now in a hotel. First of all, let's not even talk about the mask and glove job. We, we'll get to that later. Traveling at this time of year into a hotel is not the smartest thing to do to begin with. That we know, right? But I had a reason to go there. It was family reasons, so we went. 
So I'm at 7,000 feet. Right away, you got the lightheadedness. So one beer is three, so I didn't drink at all, which is good. You don't drink at altitude. If you're smart, you don't drink at altitude for a few days. So fine that you don't do. So you have no way to kill the pain. You have no way to kill the boredom. You have no way to kill the ennui. You have no way to kill, like, why am I living? Staring at these people. And now there's a new thing in hotels, and I'm a dog lover. They let dogs into hotels. Here was a very high-class so-called hotel that is not. It's a holiday inn at 7,000 feet called the Ritz-Carlton. I don't know why they call it the Ritz-Carlton when it's run by the Marriott. It's like a glorified holiday inn. You should see the people checking in. If you ever took a look at the, 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 the human baggage that was walking through, and I think they all got a, like a free hot dog when they checked in. They made a beeline to the hot dog stand with a, with a coupon. It's a holiday inn at 7,000 feet, ritzed up as the Ritz-Carlton, a nightmare. So that was the room, but that wasn't the worst part of it. It gets even better. Shall I tell you about the dining experience, the restaurant? No, I don't think I'll bother with it because it's, look, let's put this in context. This is all minor stuff compared to things in the world. I understand that. But everyone knows that there are vacation horror stories. In fact, the most difficult thing to do is go away, quote, and vacate. What do you mean vacate? Vacate what, your mind? Yes, that's what most people do. Have you ever tried to sit down to dinner with a Yahoo and his family uh, at a table yelling to everyone in the outdoor dining area about his vacation and how they were celebrating a birthday? Here's this big schmuck white guy, normal-looking guy with his kids and the wife. I don't know who else was at the table. It was okay till he showed up. Other than that, I had a miserable, nasty waitress who when I asked her for one thing, she wanted to stab me. And he starts talking about his birthday. Lo and behold, an Indian couple arrives, lovely Indian people from East India, not from uh, a teepee, and uh, with their beautiful daughter dressed in a nice little dress. And I don't know how the Yahoo... Figured out it was her birthday, but man, all right. You ever get the guy who tries to include the next table in his, like, high? He's, like, high on some drugs of some kind. He's like, I don't know what was he on, alcohol, coke? I don't know what he was. Hey, you're celebrating a birthday, too. Well, sir, we, Mary's birthday's today, and guess what? What a coincidence, nice Indian people. We're good white people, and we're not racists. Uh, it was her birthday the other day, and this went on for five minutes. I was in a, I was in a Schwitz bath. I felt like I was in a sauna after three minutes of this. I didn't know what to do. I started, why am I sitting here? And there's no room service during COVID. So, okay, that was too, again, minor. But then again, that's not really why I'm doing vacation horror stories. You want to hear the real vacation horror story? Because here it comes. On the way home, we left the night before. I paid for three nights, but the night of the third night, I left at six o'clock saying, to the desk clerk, I've had enough. I can't sleep a minute in this room. There's too much noise. So you would think, yeah, they compensate something, not even so much as a compensation, because you know who runs the Marriott Corporation, don't you? <laughs> not even so much as we'll give you $5 off. I didn't even ask for it. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even lose my dignity by saying, you know what, I'm leaving. An, on a th I don't even want to be here one more second. We figured it would be better to drive home at like 7 o'clock on Highway 80 and get home in our own bed, then suffer through one more night of that holiday inn at 7,000 feet. All right, fine. Get in the car. Unfortunately, we had not filled the tank the night before. Here comes the Alfred Hitchcock part of the story. Now, Mrs. S is smarter than me in many ways, and she said the night before, why don't we fill the tank? And I said, I want to just get the hell home. It's enough already. I want to just go home. No tank, no gas. We'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow. 
Well, tomorrow came at six o'clock. We get on the in the car. The tank is like an eighth full. We have I don't know how many hundreds of miles to travel. So you figured, all right, we'll get the gas on the road. So she says, why don't we just stop in Truckee before we get on Highway 80 and heading back home? I said, no, I don't want to go through that town. It is like Coney Island right now. You can't go to town. It's dinner time. You're going to get trapped getting off the highway, getting on the highway. Let's just go down a few exits. Here comes the Alfred Hitchcock part. All right, so we go down an exit or two and looking for gas, you know, pull off the sign that says, gas, rest, whatever, food, lodging kind of thing. And finally, we pass a place called Soda Springs. Those of you who know the uh, High Sierras, beautiful area, always loved it. But we missed that exit. We, we saw the Soda Springs exit. And you have to go under the highway. to go. All the gas stations going that way are on the other side of the highway going towards, towards uh, Reno. And we're heading to Sacramento. I've missed that one. So we go to the next one. So, oh, look, there's a sign. It says gas and lodging. I said, get off, get off, get off. She says, no, no, why don't we wait until we get to Auburn? It's a bigger town and safer. Instead of getting off like, nah, come on, don't be ridiculous. I've got a loaded, you know, 357 in the car. I'm not going to worry about filling gas here. All right, we get off. So we get off and it's like deliverance. This was like a deliverance exit. There's no gas station at the first exit. It's not like when you pull off and it's on the right with a sign and a McDonald's and a clown, nothing. It's woods. It's woods and like chipmunks and deer in there. And then on. So the gas station is on the other side of the highway going to Reno. So, okay, here comes deliverance. We go on to the underpass to the other side of the highway going what is known as East Young Man. Not west. West would have been where I was going home to the San Francisco Bay Area. We're now going on the other side of the road. And it's kind of an abandoned station to a certain extent. A place where you put on tire chains in the winter, but in the summer, it's kind of no one there. It's like a place you pull off going to the mountains if your car needs chains. Otherwise, there's no reason to stop there unless you're looking to pull a bank job and you need gas for the getaway. So pull into the lot. Right away, the machine doesn't work. You put the card in, it says, see cashier. So right away, you got to get into the store, the general store, and stand behind someone buying ice, another guy buying chewing tobacco, another person buying ammunition, another one buying a fishing rod. It's like one of those nightmares to just get the card clear. And I'm sitting in the car, and I look across the lot, and I see a guy lounging on a motorcycle at the end of the lot staring at us. And I said, okay, man, get the antenna, get the antenna. The antenna went off right away. I didn't like his looks. And I'll tell you the rest of the story when I return right here on the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Look, these days it's not always easy to get together with the people we love, but a great way to feel close to those who can't be with us is through a painting from Paint Your Life. This is a great, great thing. You get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo that you send in at a truly affordable price. Then you choose from a team of world-class artists, and you work with them on the web until every detail of that picture that you have ordered is perfect. Their user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Quick and easy. Get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks. You send any picture of yourself, your children, family, a special place, cherished pet, or combine all the photos together. This makes the perfect birthday, anniversary, or Father's Day gift. It really is great. I got one of Teddy. 
It's meaningful, personal, and can be cherished forever. It's a gift that will make the recipient feel close to you even when you can't be there. Paint Your Life portraits are a gift that will keep on giving. At paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, you're going to get your money back, fully refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. You heard me right. 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer going, text the word SAVAGE to 64000. That's S-A-V-A-G-E to 64000. Text SAVAGE to 64000. I want you to paint your life to celebrate the moments that matter most. Text SAVAGE to 64000. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. Welcome back to the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. No, it's Michael Savage with Vacation Horror Stories today on the Savage Nation radio show. If you miss the the prelude to what follows, you can get it on the podcast later on. So we pull out somewhere in uh, Deliverance Country on the way to uh, the Bay Area from the High Sierra. Have to go under the underpass, pull into this abandoned-like gas station. With a few local folk buying chewing tobacco, fishing, whatever, ice, to get the card cleared. Because up there, I guess, electronics don't work that well. And so she's in there, and this guy's on a motorcycle down the end of the lot. And I paid not much attention to him. I just, in my mind's eye, saw him. Just sitting on the side, like a James Dean kind of lounging look. He's eyeing the whole parking lot to see who's pulling in. And I didn't pay much attention to him. So... The missus comes back from getting her card cleared by Zeke there in the general store. And the minute she shows up, he gets off the bike and he's right there, comes right up to us at speed, meaning on foot. Hey, folks, how you doing? And I for a moment thought he was the owner of the station asking us how we were doing because the car didn't work. And I said, no, it's all worked out. He said, listen. My scooter broke down. I look across the lot. It wasn't a scooter. It was a motorcycle. That was number one. That was A. He said, my scooter broke down. And he said, if you guys are going towards Sacramento, could you give me a, a hitch down to the next exit to Penryn? Before he even finished the sentence, I knew what he was going to say. And I said, that, uh, no, sorry, Cam, we're going the other way. He said, oh, you're going to Reno? I said, yeah, sorry. And that was it. So he sort of walked back to the bike I went in the back of the car. She split to the other side immediately when he asked that question because we have read enough horror stories and watched them to know, always separate the targets. The missus immediately walked away from the door when he showed up, by the way, so we were not a single target. You know, where he could pull a knife and put it against one and say, get in. She went to the other side of the car. She didn't let him. He did not have a single target of the two of us because we know who this guy was. So to make a long story short, did anything happen or did nothing happen? I'll leave that to your imagination. Was I paranoid and not a good man for giving a stranger a ride in my car? 
Would you give anyone a ride like that? Would you be a good Christian and give them a ride? Sure, buddy, come on in. Can I offer you some hummus and crackers or something along those lines? Uh, we don't have any beer or something. Would you like a gl- We didn't invite him in the car. Now, first of all, who hitches in this day and age other than bad or crazy people? Number one, who is crazier, the hitcher or the idiot who gives him a ride? Would you give anyone a ride like that? So I contemplated this off and on for the last two days. Maybe he was an innocent guy whose motorcycle broke down. But then no innocent guy whose motorcycle breaks down at a gas station has to ask a stranger for a hitch, does he? Isn't there a thing called a cell phone where you can call your neighbor or your father or your wife or your parole officer to get you back? Something was wrong with that picture. Michael Savage, a host like no other. You know, it's very sad that cyber criminals are taking advantage of the coronavirus pandemic, but they are. What they've done is sent malware to scam people trying to learn about cures for the disease. That's awful. The criminals are also conducting phishing attacks and devising counterfeit online pharmacies. And they've also focused on the economic stimulus by creating fake banking websites. It's awful. It's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the Internet. You could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit. It's a good thing there's LifeLock. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats like your social security number for sale on the dark web. And if they detect your information has potentially been compromised, they'll send you an alert. So look, if you become a victim of identity theft, LifeLock can help you restore your identity easier than what you can do on your own. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. So join now and save up to 25% off your first year just by using promo code SAVAGE. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or head to LifeLock.com using promo code SAVAGE for 25% off. That's 1-800-LIFELOCK, promo code S-A-V-A-G-E, 1-800-LIFELOCK, promo code SAVAGE. The story you are about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. There are no innocent. There are no innocent. Every man has larceny in his heart. Welcome back to the Savage Nation. The age of the good person has long been over. So anyway, that was my little minor horror story, my vacation horror story. If you got something to say about any of your stories. Look, you want me to talk about Pelosi and her and the, and the scarf? You think that's a topic? I leave that to the folks who think that, um, I don't know how to put it, that's talk radio. No, that's not talk radio. That's bull crap. You know, anyone could go on the Drudge Report or any of the other great sites and read the headlines and make believe they're a genius and then make believe they take a position. And that's fine. We all do it when we're lazy and we have no imagination. But if that's all you want to hear, you're in the wrong, you're dialed into the wrong show. I want to do what made me famous which is my ability to relate life 101 to you. So that was my little story of the hitchhiker I did not accept in the car, who I, to this minute, I'm contemplating, was he an innocent guy whose motorcycle broke down, needed a lift to Penryn or wherever he was going? I don't think so, because nobody would approach strangers that rapidly and ask for a ride when there's a gas station right there, isn't it? I mean, you're in a gas station with a, quote, 
uh, thing that broke down. Wouldn't you have him fix it? You need a, a ride home. Wouldn't you ask the guy who's in the station or you live in the neighborhood to drop you off or get a friend to, to call someone? No. So it didn't add up. It looked like a real slaughterhouse was coming if you let him in the car. But uh, you don't know whether you're actually reading this correctly. But you always have to err on the side of caution, especially in this violent world in which we're living. And in the state of California, where tens of thousands of Ill, uh, excuse me, thousands of prisoners have been released from prison by this governor because of crowding then of COVID. And they have no way to make a living. So what are they going to do for a living? They're going to go back to what they've always done for a living, right? And one of them would be to do a thing like this. This would be an easy one. Older couple, new car. They don't look like they can protect themselves. They have no idea that I'm armed and dangerous. You know, you don't know. You take a look. You take a shot at the weakest animal at the watering hole. Looking back, he looked like a crocodile sitting around a watering hole waiting for animals to come and dip their neck into the into the river to take a drink so he could snap at them and pull them in. Or was I just being a mean person? What if I were just a kind liberal from San Francisco, kind white liberal with his wife on vacation, just a nice liberal who would give the stranger a ride, right? And maybe offer him a free mask or something along those lines. No, 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 no way. When I was a kid, I hitchhiked. That is true. Those days are over, man. The 50s died 70 years ago. Who would pick up a hitchhiker today? I didn't. In fact, as I said to you before, as he finished the sentence, I already had the answer. The chess game was over. He asked the wrong question. If he was a bad guy, he shouldn't have said, can you take me down the road to the next exit towards Sacramento? What he should have said was, my scooter broke down. I need a lift to the next exit. Can you help me out? I would have said, uh, which if I would have said no, he would have had an, an answer for me to finagle his way into the right direction. He would have put me in a difficult position of saying no, at which point it would have gotten hostile. But instead, he told me the direction he was going in, which was his mistake, because I said, no, I'm going in the other direction. Before he finished it, my mind already calculated the chess move. And he wasn't... The part was, he said, oh, you're going to Re toward Reno. I said, yes. Of course, when we got back on the road, I went under the underpass. I wasn't going to Reno. So, like, what, was he going to chase me back home? I was sitting in the back with the loaded, you know, whatever. Here we are. So we're talking about vacation horror stories. I wouldn't say this is an equal to the bloody mattress in Cancun story. From a prior vacation, Dad, we're getting you the best room on the top floor. And I pulled back the bed cover, and it looked like there was a, either an abortion or a murder in the bed. And in Cancun at the time, by the way, that's when the drug wars were starting. I don't know if anyone was killed in that bed or, uh, you know, I don't know if you heard that story years ago. I don't go on vacation. I, I don't need vacation. How do you vacate? Aren't there other ways to vacate other than vacation? But, you know, look, there are reasons to travel. As I learned as a young man on my first big trip to Europe on that MS motor vessel Waterman. Oh, do I remember that trip that I love it? Wow. I went on the Waterman, an old troop transport to Europe. I've told the story a couple of times, but there's one part of it that's worth telling. So it had been turned into a student ship, kind of, and it was a cheap 10-day trip to, to England from New York, my first big trip out of New York. And I went with my friends, a couple of guys. What fun we had. God, we were up all night. We slept all day we, drinking, smoking. I don't know what the hell we did on the boat, but, man, it was fun. Loaded with girls, loaded with guys. I mean, what could be better, right? So, unfortunately, they put us down below. I mean, it was a cheap passage. 
uh, a cabin for four, and they're three young guys and one like 80-year-old Dutchman, I told you, the blind man. And I asked them the meaning of life because I got bored of all the partying, and I went down below. I used to like to talk to people, and I looked at the old man who was blind, and he looked up at me, and I said, so, old man, what is the meaning of life? Like, I was on life's journey. I was going to learn something from a stranger. You know, wisdom. So the guy looks at me up with his blind eyes staring at me or through me, and he says, the meaning of life, the meaning of life, and he says, well, I don't know. He said, in my case, uh, you're born holding it and you die holding it. Okay, well, there was wisdom on the waterman. But then I met another guy who was a poet, a very famous poet whose name, well, I forget. He was famous at the time. And um, he said to me, the only reason to travel, as you get older, you'll find out, is for weddings or funerals. He said, there's no other reason to travel. You'll find out travel is exhausting. That was a pretty profound statement. I found out to be very true. In other words, what does vacation mean? To vacate your daily life, to leave behind. Unless you live in a horrible place and you want to get to a, a better place. I don't live in a horrible place, you know. But have you had vacation horror stories? Let's take, uh, take. let's toik, let's toik. I almost talked Dutch by accident. I almost started speaking in Dutch. Mike in California, line five, show. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, you, you mentioned that you're still pondering the hitchhiker, and I have a, an alternative uh, outcome on a story that uh, I was involved with. I'll give you just a brief background. I'm a white guy. I was a deputy sheriff, uh, conservative in a conservative community, and I'm off-duty driving in my pickup truck, of all things, and I see um, a black guy with a backpack running at a fairly good clip along the street. As a major street, and I've told my family, you know, pray about it if you need to pick somebody up. If you see a hitchhiker, uh, you know, go with what he tells you, but don't do it on default. And I appreciate your pre-planning that you've done with your family. That's phenomenal. Uh, what do you mean about about if someone approaches quickly, separate? Yeah, I think that that's a great tip. And um, and the nice thing is by doing that, you're gaining confidence, which gives you the upper hand. You're not working in panic mode. You had a plan. And it worked, and you get in the car, and you're not shaking because the adrenaline didn't overload you. So good. No, I, I didn't have an adrenaline rush on it at all. I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't react. But please tell me your story because you're a much different – your outcome is much different than mine. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been uh, more than a dozen years, uh, and um, I'm older now. <laughs> and I would do it again if it hit me the same way. So there's this guy, and it just – this one felt right. So I pull over, first thing out of my mouth, I roll the window down, and, hey, do you need a ride? And the guy looks at me like, oh, my gosh, who are you? And he says, and he, with a big accent, the bus, the bus. I said, you missed the bus? Yes, Cal State, Cal State. And so, oh, you missed the bus to Cal State. So do you want a ride? This is not my norm. I don't normally do this. And he says, we, oui, we, oui, yes. So he gets in my truck. He speaks very broken English. He is from Burkina Faso in Africa, one of the poorest of the poor countries. Um, I reluctantly give him my phone number when I drop him off at Cal State. And I will tell you, Doc, one of the sweetest and most beautiful seasons of my life and my family's life came out of that brief encounter. His name is Cyprian Valegda. He lives in Burkina Faso still, studied international students come to the U.S. and get the diploma and go back home to help. And through him, we met people from Burkina Faso, 
uh, Tanzania, Chad, Niger, Mauritania, we met real Africans who identify as African, and yet their, their country is their pride. And we had Muslims and Catholics and Protestants and no beliefs to our house for Thanksgiving dinner. for Easter. Uh, Mike, I, uh, Mike, you sound like a very good man in the sense, are you sort of like a missionary in a way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess as a Christian, I would be. <laughs> no, but you, you're a real devout Christian type, and, and I mean a real believer. You know, and, and I, I love that in people, but I'm a much more cynical person than that. You know, uh, and so was Paul, uh, and so was the tax collector, and so am I. <laughs> Don't call me a tax collector. Come on. Come on. Um, so, yeah, well, none of us are beyond. No, so you're saying you took a chance on this hitchhiker and he, he enriched your life, correct? Oh, yes. My family was of this. We well, well were let's the- go back to my situation. Would you have given this man a ride? Would I, your guy? Yes. I think you hit it right on. If I were there in that circumstance, it's the question and what's the answer. If you've got the right question and they've got the right answer. But here's the question. He's sitting on a motorcycle at the end of the parking lot. He comes over to my car rapidly right after the gas tank is full when the missus comes back to the car and he has two together. You get it? The minute we were together, he came over rapidly. And there was a moment there. That was very bad because that was the moment he could have pulled a gun or a knife and said, get in. Right. But right. she had told me when we left, she said, you had told me years ago in a, in a moment of danger, always separate, break up the targets, never give them a single target. I don't remember talking about it. Would you have at that point given him a ride? Uh, I would be uncomfortable with that when when they're coming to you with urgency, unless there's something on fire. um, your emergency mm. doesn't make one for me, right? I mean, yeah. that's what... Well, there it was. But I mean, the minute he said my my scooter broke down and he had gotten off a motorcycle in the parking lot, that also didn't add up, did it? Yeah, and I would say, for the comparison's sake, I wouldn't feel at all bad about what you did. You went with your heart, and that, uh, you know, I, when I... <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel bad about it. I mean, I'm sure he'll find, you know, maybe I should check the local newspapers to see if a, a couple went missing. The next uh, Good Samaritans who stopped... You know, are there any relatives are missing a, a a set of parents out there who have not returned from the Sierras? Uh, I think you ought to check that gas station. There are video cameras. No, I'm saying it didn't look right to me. So what did I learn from it? I don't know if I learned anything other than be on your guard, number one. Uh, and number two, be prepared for an emergency. And number three, I you know, I had a rule for years. Really don't stop on these highways unless it's a well-lit area in, in an area where there's a lot of people around. Don't, don't pull off these roads for fuel unless it's an absolute life and death emergency. Well, thank you for being a good man. The world sure needs good men. Thanks for calling. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. Now, my dog, Teddy. So when I was asked to try Rough Greens with Teddy a nutritional supplement for dogs. I was interested but skeptical because most dog products are just, well, they're dead food. There are none of the live nutrients that dogs need in most dog foods like probiotics, enzymes, live vitamins, omega oils, and antioxidants. When I read the back of the Rough Greens bag, I was shocked. Shocked. The stuff is loaded with all of the nutrition your dog needs to live a healthy life. Teddy loves it, and I see the difference it makes in him. If you love your dog as much as I love Teddy... You've got to go to roughgreens.com slash savage and get yourself a 14-day jumpstart bag for just $14.95. It will give your dog all of the live nutrients necessary for their superior health. 
your dog trusts you to give them great nutrition. You may not have a PhD in nutrition like I do, but you can trust me when I tell you, Rough Greens will be the best thing you've ever done for your furry friend. How do you get it? Go to ruffgreens.com slash savage. That's roughgreens.com slash savage. Go there now. Ruffgreens.com slash savage. Your furry friend will thank you. Right now, even more important because it is a health issue. People should not have to choose between jeopardizing their health with the coronavirus and being able to exercise uh, their right to vote. So the liar of the uh, house, Nancy uh, Polonosi, we don't call her Pelosi because that means she sees things. It's Polonosi, no see him. Polonosi says that we should not vote in the way Americans have been voting since the uh, founding of the nation. We should vote so that the uh, results can be skewed by the machines that they own. Unbelievable how she gets away with it. Voting by mail is now a health issue. You hear this? Why did she just go to the next time and say, vote for Joe Biden because it's a health issue? You can't vote for Donald Trump at all. Denise McAllister texted this. Keep your children at home. Homeschool your child to free him from the liberal feminized death trap that's labeled public education. Let him climb trees. Learn the Ten Commandments, pray, read Adam Smith, eat sweets, sword fight with sticks, shoot a gun with dad and be proud of his heritage as American. Good for you, Denise. Good for you, Denise. They're killing our boys. The public schools are turning our boys into transsexual mental cases. The boys don't even know that they are boys. Aside from that, they grow up hating themselves if they are of Caucasian descent. This has to stop. This has to stop. The Westwood One Podcast Network. Spans of the spoken word. Welcome. This is a podcast. Greetings, pod recipients. You are entering the Savage Nation. Read the book. See the movie. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Just another manic Monday, wish it was Sunday, Sunday. that's my fun day, my fun day. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever it is, here we are in the Savage Nation. We're doing vacation horror stories. I had to go away or I wouldn't have. It was the worst July since I've ever lived in the Bay Area. Not politically so much. It's always been bad. It really died here in the uh, late 80s. The psychos took over the city. It was uh, the weather was the worst. It was the windiest July on record. Yeah, yeah, I know about Mark Twain. The coldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. We all heard that. Well, unless you know, you really live around it, you're talking 20-knot winds, like four weeks in a row. 
where I was call, calling it Newfoundland. I'm going home to Newfoundland. And it sounds charming if you're living in Arizona or in Florida where the mosquitoes are the size of quarters and you're being bitten to death and you have to live under. You know, I get it. But if it's every day and you're putting the heat on at night and you're wearing flannel pajamas and you're still cold, no. A month of July, like, horror. So I went away. Right, but it was nice weather up there, 7,000 feet. You can't breathe. Blood is a little thinner. Then the hitchhiker story, then the hotel... The Holiday Inn that they call a Ritz-Carlton. Like a Holiday Inn in, in Astoria, Queens. That's all. It's 7,000 feet. The hallways are narrow. The rugs are dirty. I couldn't believe. Anyway, forget about it. I don't care about it anymore. You know, people live through a lot. <laughs> they live through a thing like that. It's not a big deal. It's just an uncomfortable thing. But the hitchhiker story was a closey because... I still don't know whether the guy's motorcycle broke down and he just needed a ride, or I was paranoid and didn't want him in the car. I wouldn't have taken him anyway. He could have been bleeding in the parking lot. I wouldn't have let him in the car. I would have called 911. Well, who takes a stranger in a car? you got to be out of your mind. But the last caller was a good Christian. He did it, and his life changed for the better. That's what makes the world an interesting place. Unfortunately, predators prey on the good. Predators prey on the innocent and the good. And this guy, you know, he was like a stockily built white guy. Let's say he looked like a fighter or a current military, former military or prisoner who had just been let out. That's on top of it all with a very loose fitting like uh, undershirt, which could have had a gun in the waistband. Who knows what? So I didn't let him in. That's all. I said, no, we're going the other way. And that was the end of that. All right. So was it a close call or am I a paranoid lunatic? What would you have done? How many liberals out there would have let him in the car? None. But you tell me what to do, right? You tell me I'm a bad guy because I didn't let the guy in the car. Now, remember, at the bottom of the hour, we have a, a shorty, a shorty. I don't do guests. We have an interesting man. He's the former um, you know, U.S. ambassador to Japan. And he is running for the Senate in Tennessee. And Donald Trump nominated Mr. Haggerty to serve as U.S. ambassador to Japan in 2019. And he, he announced on July 16th, which is only a few weeks ago, oh, no, in 2019, Haggerty announced he would resign as ambassador to Japan with President Donald Trump's endorsement of the 2020 Senate campaign. So he's going to be running for uh, takeover, retiring Lamar Alexander's seat. And the president wants him, so I want him. Let's see what his uh, position is. Let's see what his solution would be to end the rioting in the streets. Let's see what he would do about domestic terrorist groups like Antifa would he use RICO. I want to find out. Maybe I'll run for the Senate in Tennessee. I can't do that. No, I'm not running for any Senate. Imagine if I ran for the Senate in California, how far I'd get in this crooked, twisted state with Diane Feinstein, with a Chinese driver for 20 years who turned out to be a spy. She could get reelected if she was if she was like Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the next world. She'd get reelected. They own the machine here. It's it's like worse than any state in the world. You cannot run in this state and win unless you're part of the machine. Tammany Hall in New York ruled New York for over 100 years with machine candidates like they have in California. And now you know why the state is a wreck. Same in New York on the meatball. Governor Meatball, the same thing. Hey, by the way, now Governor Meatball wants to be bailed out by Trump. He's screaming bloody murder. Did you hear that story? It's very funny. Really, honest to God. Governor Meatball in New York, Andrew Meatball. Where's this story? Here. Governor Andrew Meatball Cuomo says the federal government must bail out New York's budget gap. Because they're facing a budget deficit of $30 billion over the next two years. And Governor uh, Andrew Meatball Cuomo said it's up to the federal government to, to fill it. You hear this? Yeah, right. And I said before, Trump should not do that. 
Absolutely not. Do not bail out these states. No. Then he said, if we don't get bailed out, we're going to raise the taxes on billionaires. So his budget director, Robert Mujica, said that the state of New York already has a very high tax rate. He didn't say high. They call it progressive. With the top 2% of earners accounting for 60% of state tax dollars. Listen very carefully, all of you normal people. The highest earners in every state account for most of the state tax dollars. And you will drive us out of your state if you nail us for one more cent. And that goes for you in California. You say the top 2% account for 60% of state tax dollars? Uh, yeah, okay, right. And you want to squeeze more money out of us? You're going to wind up with Venezuela if you keep it up. But you don't care. You don't care because you don't care about tomorrow. All you care about is today. I get it. That's how the world works. 855, what's my number? I've been away a week. I don't know. 855-400-SAVAGE, 855-400-7282 is the phone number. Pennsylvania Bob on the Hitchhiker story. Tell us what happened to you. Yeah, I was traveling with college friends cross country, and uh, we were heading up into Yosemite, and my friend pulled over. There was something wrong with the old school bus we were using as a converted camper. I noticed there was a guy across the street hiking the other way, and then he sees us pulled over. He comes across the road, and he said, hey, you guys are going into Yosemite. Uh, yeah, you need to a lift. Well, okay. So he was kind of a hippie-looking guy, and he jumps in the bus, and we get inside the gate, and he goes, let me, let me off here. And he gets out, and my friend, who's it's his bus, he goes, where's my wallet? And I was like, I don't know. Where, where'd you put it? He said, it was right there. I was like, oh, no. And the guy was gone. A little mm. bit later, we saw, we went to the cafeteria to get a bite to eat. We see the guy at the, at the register, and we start heading over there. He spots us and runs out the door. We never saw him again. But that kept us from going into Canada because he not only took my friend's New York driver's license, but also the registration for his old school bus. Well, he must have been a Democrat uh, who was just doing reparations in advance. Yeah, I should have. We should have figured, you know, he was on the other side of the road. Why would he want to go back to where he'd just come from? Because you're not a cynic like me. <laughs> you would too not. But that was a long time ago, right? How long ago was that? <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, the summer of 72. He could have been Charles. Yeah, but come on. That was ancient history. In those days, a lot of people hitched. And, and look, oh, in, yeah. the seven, in the 70s, I picked people up. I wasn't afraid, you know, especially if they were wearing short skirts. You know, uh, we picked them up. Well, one time I went up to this Finger Lakes to see a girlfriend who dumped me. Sir, this is a family show, please. No, that's okay. No, but on the way back uh, in a snowstorm coming from Syracuse. This Sir, this is a family show, please. Yeah, it's okay, but I just said, we're not going to make it because the people were drinking beer in the front. I said, we're going to die today. And uh, But no, I used to... Oh, oh, you mean you were hitching and you didn't want to get in the car with the, with the drunk. I was, I was hitchhiking back home, back to, back to college, and uh, my, me and my friend, the day before cell phones, we said, let's meet up. Yeah, but would you today ever pick up a hitchhiker for any reason? Gosh, no, and I really appreciate your comment. You know, my wife and I are getting older. And, uh, you know, we're going to travel around, I'm sure, to see our kids that are all over the place. Well, one's in California and we're in Pennsylvania. But I, I'm a little worried that, you know, if we're going, you know, if we could make an easy mark for somebody. That's right. Remember, older white couple, you're the mark. Oh, yeah. You're the mark. And that's who the predators are waiting for at the watering, watering hole. The crocodiles are sitting I appreciate there what you waiting said. for you to stick your head down into the water. To, to. So two things, two things. One, choose gasoline stations and well-lit 
relatively busy areas, plan that accordingly. Number two, and the number two is if anyone approaches your car uh, during the fill-up, do not let you and your wife stand together during that period. Immediately separate out so you're not a single target. That, thank you. Yeah, I've watched enough uh, crime shows, you know, little friendly tips from the Savage Nation on how to paranoid your way through life. Well, you could be, you know, you could be a, a Pollyanna on all this stuff if you want. Or you could be cynical about it, you know, whichever way you want to be. You know, you got to live your own life any way you want. But the tips you learn from either watching TV or from Life 101 that they're worth passing on to people. And I think we're living in very extremely dangerous times. And, of course, the interesting part here is that there was no politics or race involved in the story I told you, was there? It wasn't like we're white, he was black, or we're white, he was Hispanic. It wasn't that at all. We're white, he was white. So it wasn't a racial thing, right? And so people of color think that you may react to them differently. You're wrong. I react to all people about the same exact way. Funny, yesterday I was in San Francisco. I went over by boat. A friend had a boat took me into the city. So I got off down around the Embarcadero. I don't go in much, you know. And there's a African-American guy selling Black Lives Matter T-shirts. And it was very funny because he did. He would look like just a plain, ordinary businessman who co-opted the movement. They're trying to like, make money off the T-shirts. I said, this is funny. He wasn't a radical. He wasn't yelling, wasn't screaming, wasn't. It was, not, it was like, you know, get your Black Lives Matter T-shirt here. T-shirts here. Get your Black Lives Matter T-shirt here. He just sat there nonchalantly selling his T-shirts. I thought it was very, very telling, by the way, that this has become not so much a movement as a business, you know, which is the way all things get co-opted in capitalist nations. It's actually a good thing. You know, when you think about it, business is probably a very good way to end the radical element of it if it turns into a little business for people on the side. Might quiet everyone down and stop the murdering, looting, rioting, things like that. All in the name of peace and justice, of course. You know, that's how that works. All right, 855-47282 is the phone number. Uh, let's take another call on the Savage Nation. We've got good soon. Here's a retired police officer named Ben in New York. Ben, welcome to the program. What words of wisdom have you? Hi, Mike. How are you? So uh, this happened way before I was a cop, and I would never pick up a hitchhiker or hitchhike myself. Me and two friends went to a club. It was kind of desolate on Long Island, the area. And after the night, we were leaving. So I was the second car, and I noticed my friend who's behind me, his car's going left to right, left to right. And I can see it in my rearview you know, mirror. So I flash my friend ahead of me, and I stop. And now I'm walking back to my friend's car, which is maybe five, six car lengths away. And his car's rocking back and forth. Somehow this idiot picked up these two guys, and was, they were trying to carjack them. So pulled one of them out. I mean, we, we had a fight, and my other friend showed up from the first car. You know, when they ran off, I got hit with something on the side of the head that I had to drive with no cell phone at that time. This was the early 80s to, uh, to the hospital. But that was definitely a lesson. Oh, wait, who picked up the hitchhiker? Your friend stupidly picked him up? Yeah, picked him up. He was in the last car, and I saw his... his oh, you were like in a little caravan. Right, right. We all took our own car to the club, and we were all leaving, you know, one, two, three. So the third car, the last car, his headlights are going left to the right, left to right. Like, well, who, now, this guy who picked up the hitchhiker, the, the friend, do you still know him? Oh, nah, you know, with years, you forget 
contacts with people and stuff like that. But what well, was he a naive guy? What kind of guy was he that he would be naive enough to pick up two hitchhikers? It was just he just had like a big heart. That that type of person, like, oh, you guys need a ride? Oh, okay, not not a problem. Come on, jump in, whatever. And they tried to carjack him. And okay, again, was there a racial element at that time? No. What's that? Say it again. Were they all the same racial element? Yes, there were two white guys. Right. So again, it's not a racial issue here. It's just simply an issue. It's just an issue. Not at all. It was just an issue. Right. Right. I, right. I, I was, as I was coaching his car, I was rocking back. I go, what the hell's wrong with him? I opened up the door and I saw these guys. But you, you never kept in touch with the naive friend. No, no, you know, as time goes on, you lose touch. And now we're talking around like 1982, Ben, where do you live in New York? It says you're from New York. Where do you live? What? I don't mean the city, the, the space, but like what place? Where? Lower, lower Manhattan. Lower Manhattan. You know what's interesting to me is you're listening to this show on the stream because they're not carrying me on WABC foolishly. They want only local hosts or those who sound like Mickey Mouse. I'm laughing, yes. And, and yet you still stay with the show. Isn't that interesting? Yep. I would never miss you. I try and catch you. Ben, what, what would happen if I left radio and only did podcasts? Would you follow me only on podcasts if I never did radio again? If I had to, I would. I hope you don't, but I... Well, you know, you're following me now on the stream, or which stream do you use, the KSFO stream, or which one? Yes, that's exactly right. Well, let's say I was not on any radio station, and you couldn't find me. Where would you find me? You'd go to, on the podcast, find Michael Savage, and there I would be. Yeah, I would go on the podcast. That's what I... Well, that, I'm, we're talking about that. I'm talking about that with a few people. I'll catch a show. I go to your podcast. I listen to you on there. Because, look, what I did today, like, you know, vacation hour stories and all, look, this is how I made my name in, in the radio business. I got to entertain people, too, with reality, not just talk about what's in the news, because you can go out of your mind from it, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate Ben. It's listeners like you who have not only made the last 26 years of my life possible, but will likely, with God's will, make the next number of years not only possible, but more fruitful than they have been for the last number of years. I'll be right back. Thanks for listening. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. I don't know where the time is going here, but uh, our guest will be up in the uh, turn of the hour, Bill Haggerty, Tennessee Senate candidate trying to take over retiring Lamar Alexander. Seeing the president would like him to get it, and I've agreed to have him on the show. As a result of that, for a few minutes, I hope you enjoy listening to that. We've done vacation horror stories today in the Savage Nation radio show, plus the headlines. Uh, the headlines are BLM demands protection dollars from Louisville businesses. And I say the mafia used the very same tactic of protection money. And why doesn't Trump invoke RICO on them and Antifa? That's a really, that's the $24, the $64 question. Then I asked, who is crazier and a bigger liar? Nosi or Dr. Burks? That's a tough call to make. I also said never call them progressives. Again, they are regressives, wanting to drag us back to October 1917. Remember, they are regressives. We also talked about uh, the mask myth. Holland's top scientists say no evidence face coverings work. Hmm, really? And the vaccine myth, safe and effective? Not so fast, Dr. Lousy. No, Dr. Lousy, not so fast. At best, it will be 45% effective. And at worst, it will kill an awful lot of people, Dr. Lousy. Michael Savage, a host like no other. It is 
a long time in coming on the Savage Nation. We're talking about Tennessee right now, Tennessee on my mind. We have Ambassador Bill Haggerty with us, who President Trump would like to acquire retiring Lamar Alexander's seat in the U.S. Senate, and we need every seat we can get. We certainly don't want the regressives getting uh, one more seat in the uh, Senate. We're already in trouble with the rhinos. And uh, one thing about Mr. Haggerty is the uh, he is the former U.S. ambassador to Japan, which is a big deal. Mr. Haggerty, welcome to the Savage Nation. A pleasure to have you with us on the Savage Nation. Dr. Savage, please please call me Bill. Bill, one thing is, please don't speak on a speakerphone. We're getting a big echo. We have to take you off speaker. So let me ask you something. Um, You're an ambassador to to Japan until when? Uh, Until I I announced the race for the United States Senate. So through 2019, the first couple years of the Trump administration. So you've been running for this seat already? I mean, for this while now? Well, uh, less than a year now. Now, if the um, seat opens up because Lamar Alexander is retiring, who would be running against you? Someone, a Republican? Is that it? There are uh, 15 candidates in the Republican primary. I'm the only one, of course, endorsed by President Trump and uh, Vice President Pence and our other Senator, Marsha Blackburn. But there are 15 candidates in the Republican primary. You've got, between the Democrats and the Independents, about as many uh, on their side of the primary as well. But primary election day will be on Thursday of this week, and then we'll go to the general election with uh, whomever. The- oh, the primary is Thursday of this week, so it's a big week for you. Very big week. That's right. Big, big week, and, and uh, I'm feeling really good about our momentum right now. Well, the president is behind you. That means that you're probably the front runner. Is that a, a valid assumption? It, it certainly helps to have the president behind me, Michael. And here in Tennessee, the support for President Trump is almost unanimous among Republican primary voters. So that certainly is a, is, is a great lift. The president and I have had a long experience working together. I started uh, full-time volunteering for him back in 2016 at a time when many people thought he didn't have a chance to get elected. You remember those days? And um, Yeah, well, I backed him in 2015. Yeah. And the other conservatives, so-called, were calling his uh, supporters Trumpers, Trumpeteers, Trumpettes, et cetera. No, I, I saw he would be the right man to, to, beat, to beat her. And here we are now. Well, we have the country has a lot of problems now, um, Bill. And, and the, the thing is, if you're in the Senate, which I hope you will be, what would you do to stop the rioting in the streets? I mean, you're one of 100. What could you do? Well, I, I think supporting the president and the exercise of his authority is one of the first and foremost things to do. And as I mentioned, Michael, I've had a long working relationship with him and this administration. I, I came in after the election and helped him put the cabinet together. My job during the Trump transition was, was working with him to put the cabinet together. So he's got broad executive authority here, uh, up to and including invoking the Insurrection Act if he needs to. And, you know, that was done back in 1992 right there in California when George H.W. Bush uh, brought in the, uh, you know, federalized the operations there and brought in the troops. I just think we need to bring it to an end yesterday. So do I. And I actually called for using RICO against BLM and Antifa immediately. And I want to know if you got BLM demanding protection dollars from Louisville businesses, how is that any different than, than, different than the mafia in the 1920s? Michael, I saw you call that out. And I think that's a great point. Uh, th- these guys are you know, willing to resort to anything. Let's, let's make, make no mistake about what BLM is. It's a Marxist organization. They want to defund and dismantle the police. They're anti-Semitic. 
You know, they, they are against the nuclear family. They'd rather have the state raise children. And as you know, uh, if you don't agree with them, they're willing to resort to any tactic, as you pointed out. Uh, you know, they, they'll, they'll use violence, the threat of violence, and, and extortion. You have my vote 100% because you said things that I was only dreaming a politician would ever say. And I'm so sorry that we don't hear things like this from the Republican Party who have disappeared on us. This is the problem in America today. We know the Democrats are largely sold out to the so-called regressive movement. I don't call them progressives because they're regressives who want to drag us back to October uh, uh, 1917, as I see it. Now, if you came into the Senate, you might be listened to. You know, they might listen to somebody with a little common sense. Well, Michael, I think one of the points the president made uh, when, when he and I talked about me coming to do this is that we need more people with business backgrounds. And common sense is, is a critical factor in being a successful businessman. I've been a businessman all my career. So that type of DNA in the Senate is obviously much needed. We've got to get our economy restarted. You see what they did with this uh, you know, unemployment insurance debacle where they added a $600 per week bonus, which in Tennessee, that translates into $24 an hour, Michael. Two-thirds of the people on unemployment here are making more not working. Yes. It's a disincentive to go back to work. No business person would have ever agreed to that. Uh, No, no, no. I know a guy who owns a supermarket, small chain, three, four. He told me that because of that, he couldn't get employees to work in the supermarket because people were making more money uh, not working. And it's just what you said. So they're but they're doing it again, Bill. They want to actually do it all over again, don't they? They're talking about it. But I've got to say, I've spoken with a lot of people up there. It's it's. I think the business community has come out and made it pretty clear that that was a very backwards position to have taken in the first place. They're talking now about maybe getting to 70% of a person's prior salary, but you can't have it, uh, you, you can't have it to a point that a person makes more money not working than working. What a, what a, what a disincentive that is. And we've got, you know, we had a wet spring here in Tennessee, Michael, but as we came out of it, a lot of companies here wanted to expand and grow even during this, this pandemic and this shutdown. And there are help-wanted signs all over this state. Mm. You can't get people to come back to work when there's an incentive not to. You know, I've spoken with knowledgeable people about Tennessee, and I'm not a Southerner, obviously. And they say that Tennessee is known as one of the best states in the country to actually retire or live in or work in. It's a beautiful, beautiful state. It is. Very, very not understood very well by people outside of the state. It's actually beautiful in many ways. Do you think the country and the state can recover from what is going on right now with COVID? Well, part of the the task that I've undertaken during this pandemic is the president has put me on the White House Economic Recovery and Revival Task Force. And the goal is to recover, definitely, and to recover stronger and faster than other nations. I believe we can do it. Uh, we've got to avoid the, the Democrats push, you know, every, every blue state and, and these mayors and blue cities are pushing to shut our economy down. But look, we've exceeded uh, expectations uh, time and again. We're going to continue to push to get our economy reopened. I've focused on two primary things, Michael, as a member of the Economic Recovery Task Force. First is doing another wave of deregulation. And to very little fanfare, President Trump signed the executive order about four weeks ago calling on our agencies to go back through all the regulations and find ways to shorten the permitting timelines for all the infrastructure projects that are in the pipeline and Mm. move more regulatory hurdles. That will accelerate the projects in the pipeline. That will impact our economy more rapidly. If you look at what happened in the failure back in 2008, 2009 of the Obama-Biden stimulus, you remember they put a $1.5 trillion stimulus into the economy then, but they expanded government at the same time, Michael. They added 
to the regulatory complex. They even put Dodd-Frank on us. That's why we had the slowest recovery on history uh, in the history under Obama. We're not going to let that happen again. So we're going through a major regulatory reform right now to accelerate all these projects to get the economy moving even faster. And if there is an infrastructure stimulus that comes through, at least there's a chance now that those projects will, will, will actually impact our economy in the time frame we need them to, to do that. The other piece I'm focused on is getting our jobs back from China. Uh, well, hold on. You, you hit the magic word. Look, you're the former ambassador to Japan. You must know better than most people the threat of China. What are we, we really up against here? I tell you, Michael, as, as ambassador to Japan, uh, I, I was up close and personal every day with this because Japan is the home to more U.S. military than any place else in the world outside of the United States because that's where we prepare and deal with everything militarily to do with Asia. We're staring North Korea and China right, right in the eye every day. And China has ramped up their military expansion dramatically. Over the past couple of decades, China has increased its military budget eightfold. I'm sure you've seen what they're doing in the South China Sea, building these yes. giant islands that are essentially yes. military assets. Yes. And that's along the busiest shipping lane in the world. So militarily, they're, they're massive aggressors. We've got to push back. That's what I was doing in Japan, working that issue. We've also got to push back diplomatically, and I applaud the president. You, you saw what China did with the World Health Organization. They got their guy, Dr. Tedros, in there. Uh, they refuse to reform. Uh, they, they repeat the one China policy, which basically means they ignore Taiwan. Taiwan tried to warn the world through the WHO back in December of 2019 that this virus spreads person to person. Instead, the WHO ignores Taiwan and, and repeats the Communist Party's talking points from China that it doesn't spread. In fact, the World Health Organization was complicit in the spread of this. And when we asked them to reform, they refused to. So I applaud the president for, for defunding the WHO. And then you've got their economic aggression, and I think we all know that story. That's how we've become so dependent on them for antibiotics, for medical supplies, for our high technology. They go in and they subsidize industries. They're willing to steal our intellectual property. They cheat. And it, time has come for us to stand up to this. And, and I'm working with President Trump and the administration right now with policies that will accelerate the process of getting these companies back to American shores. Well, you know, look, you sound like a, not only a real American, a true American, but an American who knows what he's doing and very gutsy. You know, I've been recently studying the Vikings just to change things and bring it right back where we started from. And I was thinking over the vacation, I was away and reading about the legendary warriors of land and sea, the tales of battle and bravery and the ships that change history about the Vikings again. And they ruled for over three centuries and they ruled through very similar tactics that the Chinese are now using, by the way. What struck me was, is that if we were to find a nation on earth that today are like the Vikings, wouldn't it be the, China, the nation of China? You know, that's an interesting perspective, Michael. They do think in a very long-term format. You think about three centuries, that's older than our nation is right now. Yes. Chinese have very long-term plans. Uh, their plans are, I think, to dominate the world, to, to displace America. And we've got to stand up to them at every turn. They are the, you know, the, the biggest existential threat I think we face as a nation. And I want to see us hit China hard. I know how to do that from an economic standpoint. I want to see Made in the USA the theme of America again. And I think we've got to stand up to them on every front, whether it's economic, diplomatic, or, or, or certainly on a military basis. But, you know, the Chinese faced weakened opponents. They only attack where opponents were weak. And I was tracing this. Bill, I know this is a topic maybe for another day in a longer format, but um, when they saw a weak opponent, that's when they invaded the nation and where they invaded the nation. 
People don't know that the Old Testament's book of Jeremiah had foretold of, quote, an army coming from the north, armed with bows and spears. They are cruel and without mercy. They come like men in battle formation to attack you, daughter, daughter Babylon. People didn't know that Jeremiah was predicting the coming of the Vikings, mm-hmm. who, then, who then arrived. And I'm certainly not saying I'm Jeremiah, and nor am I asking you to be Jeremiah, but we can all see that China is attacking on all fronts at all times, and we're sitting here like a bunch of patsies. Indeed, Michael, and you've already seen it just during this pandemic. You know, we've had to pull a couple of our ships back because of concerns about the, uh, the, the, the virus getting on board the ships. The Chinese stepped up their patrols in the South China Sea. They even sank a Vietnamese ship. I don't know if you saw that. Hmm. We've now stepped up our presence again. We've now got two aircraft carrier strike groups back in the South China Sea, pushing back and letting them know that America will not be intimidated. But they'll try it every turn, just as you say. Well, we lost one aircraft carrier to COVID. That went down. I don't even know if it's still up, if it's operational. And then there was that strange fire aboard the Bonhomme Richard about three weeks ago. I don't know what was behind that. Has anyone looked into sabotage? You know why I ask that? I was on the Bonhomme Richard when it was in port a few years ago during Fleet Week, and I was shocked. And I said on the air, Bill, that they had people from China, so-called journalists, little young ladies with cameras. The, the U.S. Navy personnel were escorting these people in every aspect of that ship, letting them take pictures. And I said, are you people crazy? And my voice fell on deaf ears. Maybe I'm paranoid, but I saw it coming. How do we know that it wasn't sabotage on the Bonham Richard, which certainly is an important part of our armament in, in, in the naval area? And so I am quite concerned that we are the weak target and China is striking on every level. Uh, and certainly we can't comment any, any further on that. I want to, again, reiterate who we are speaking with and why this is such a significant interview. Bill Haggerty is the Tennessee Senate candidate trying to take over, retiring Lamar Alexander's seat. President Trump 100% supports him. His views are totally in line with true Americans. I would not say they're merely populist. He certainly is not a rhino. And the Republican establishment and moderates probably don't like you, Bill. What do you think? Well, uh, I've dealt with this all the way through from the time I initially supported President Trump back in 2016, when no one else, and certainly in in this Tennessee Senate race, would lift a finger or donate a dime to Trump. Uh, I was there with him. And, you know, we have succeeded in spite of all of it pushing back in the deep state. I had to do that every day uh, as a member of the administration. And President Trump now wants an ally that he knows will stand beside him, that understands how the economy works, that he can trust, and that really understands how to deal with China. Well, let's see. The primary is this Thursday. Is that correct, Bill? It is, is, Michael, this Thursday. Well, if anyone in Tennessee is listening, there must be a few. Please go out and do the right thing and make sure you check Haggerty. Bill, let's have you on again after you win the primary so we can alert America to what's really going on. Thank you very much, and good luck with your Senate run. Thank you so much. Bye now. Home of Borders. Language. Culture. The Savage Nation. It is the Savage Nation. I hope you've enjoyed my return back from a mini vacation. I just got a a text from a person uh, named Sheila Woods who says, damn, Mike, you dodged a bullet with that gas station story. Smart tip to separate. Even while telling your story, you still are teaching. And that's a very important story. Do not be a single target in a crisis like that. If you're with your wife or your children, do not be in one little bunch. All go in different directions. Scatter, 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 scatter. Uh, I have many people holding to tell their uh, bizarre stories. Uh, 
both. There's some saying they have good Samaritan stories of, uh, here's another one says, I refused. A hitchhiker said he was diving for gold. Uh, he was not diving for gold. I don't know what that one's about. Another one says, I was a hitchhiker. Amish would not pick him up. Another one says, I was a hitchhiker, but I had a bulldog and I got away. Another one says, whatever. I'm on unemployment. I can't get back to work yet. Why are you against $600 a week for me? It's a good question. You know, how would I feel if I were unemployed and had no money? I'd want every dollar I could get from the government. So, I, you know, it depends about which side of the economic dividing line you are in terms of whether you want the government handout or not. It's that simple. And then we'll talk the next time I'm back on the vaccine myth, the mask myth, and things of that nature. In the interim, you can catch the entire um, vacation horror story near miss on the Michael Savage podcast, wherever podcasts are heard. The Westwood One Podcast Network.